Let's turn our attention to God's word this morning. Would you turn with me to the prophet Habakkuk, a, a book in the Old Testament which is often left out of our readings and our study. Steve earlier read from chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 again, and then I'll announce as we read through various portions of the book so that we can get a feel for what is taking place. Let's give our attention to God's word. Habakkuk chapter 1 will begin with verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. I wonder if you look around yourself at the United States, do you see us in those verses? It would be easy for us to see our own nation described in this way. Chapter 2 and verse 1, I take my stand at my watch post, says the prophet, and station myself on the tower, and I will look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. If you'll turn over with me to the third chapter, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and of your work, O Lord, do I fear. And in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then if you'll turn to the end of chapter 3 to what is one of the most beautiful and poetic places in all of Scripture. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Would you pray with me? Father, we would ask that you will do good to your people this morning and that you might bend low, that we might see your face, that we might hear your voice, that we would experience both personally and corporately that you are among us, that there is never a time nor a place when you have forsaken your covenant people. And so we seek your face this morning and we ask you, give uh, light to our, our minds and give grace to our hands and to our feet and to our tongues. And we bid you to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a conversation between a Sunday school teacher and her Sunday school class. She was testing her children to see 
what their thoughts were in regards to how it is that they come by way of heaven. And I asked them if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all of the church, all of the money to the local church, would that get me to heaven? And the children chimed in, no, in unison. If I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? And again they answered in unison, no. By now I was starting to smile and enjoying the moment with my children. And I said, if I was kind to all of the animals and gave candy to all of the children and loved my husband, would that get me into heaven? No, they shouted. And so I was bursting with pride and I continued and I said, so then how do we get into heaven? And a little five-year-old boy shouted out, you gotta be dead first. <laughs> now leave it to a five-year-old to, to cut through all the meat. I want you to think of something with me this morning. Do you, as I sometimes do, want very much if we could just bypass all of the hardships, if we could even death, if that could be taken away and we could just make our way to heaven? Do you not sometimes feel that way? Haven't you in some form of thinking or other said, Lord, I simply want to be done with my own frailty. I want to be done with my own sins. I want to be done with the ways I disappoint you. I want to be done with the ways I hurt people. Lord, can I just get home to heaven? Well, the, the prophet Habakkuk is touching on the same kinds of questions. Let me give you some of the questions that arise in this marvelous book. Lord, why do you let the wicked prosper? Father, why do the righteous who seek you day by day seem to be so unjustly provoked by the wicked? Lord, when will you revive us as you have revived your people in days past? Those are some of the questions that are being asked by the prophet. Well, turn with me to the end of the book, to chapter 3 and verse 17, and let's look at it just one more time. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. Conditions of complete desolation. It is arguably one of the most dreary pictures drawn for us in the scriptures. It's a scene of national destruction that reaches deeply into people's lives. There is barren trees, no grapes on the vine, olive groves that are empty, fields that have no harvest, barren pens and stalls, a devastated economy and culture. Now translate that into our modern world. Translate that into the United States where our agriculture collapses, where our economy collapses, where our banks collapse, and where chaos begins to reign. That is the scene which the prophet Habakkuk is looking forward to by way of this prophecy. When the Chaldeans will come upon the nation of Judah and they will ruin everything. 
I want you to notice what comes in the 18th and 19th verse. And it's no accident that this closes the book. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. There's jubilation. There's joy. There's hope. There is a real and honest encouragement for this prophet in the midst of these pending dooms. There's a jubilant soul in the midst of desolation. Let me ask you, is that not the encouragement that we need today? The kind of encouragement that says no matter what is going on around us, no matter what in God's providence he allows for our nation and our country and the countries that we deal with. That God has a plan for us of joy. He has a plan for us to rejoice in the God of our redemption. Well, I want us then to begin to turn to this passage. But as we do, just a bit more background. In verse 17, Habakkuk is expressing the fear of this pending Babylonian invasion. And indeed, it will actually be some 30 to 40 years hence. But the prophet doesn't know that. His movement towards the Lord in waiting trust is trumping his fear in the face of real tribulation and affliction, he is not given over to, to resignation, to detached denial, nor to the bluster of some kind of personal bravado. No, he has a settled rest of soul and a joyful confidence in the God who has bought him. And so faced with fear, he reminds himself of what God has revealed. If you would take the time later on to go through chapter 3, you'll find that this is Habakkuk's rendition of Israel's redemption from Egypt. That great and classic motif of how God rescues us. And he's reviewing that and going through that in a prophetic fashion. And he's profoundly encouraged by the infinite creator and sustainer and redeemer of his people. God is a God of mighty deliverance. And though his fears are strong enough, if you look at chapter 3 and verse 16, that he says, I bear in my body the marks of trembling. My lips are quivering. In other words, his fear is so great that there is bodily impact. But in the midst of that, Habakkuk, can embrace the coming afflictions because the God of might who rules and overrules is his God. And so I want us this morning to dive into three things that we can draw forth in the time that we'll have from our passage this morning. And here's the first. With Habakkuk, you and I here this morning and the church as a whole we need to learn to voice our cries to God with passion and honesty. I wonder how many of us here this morning really believe that it's appropriate to, to cast our cries before the Lord, to give the Lord our fears, to set before the Lord the distortions of our own hearts. It is so easy for us to think that we might immediately be judged by the Lord if we did so. But I want you to notice that this prophetic book is full of, of the complaints that Habakkuk brings to the Lord. 
And he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I'm awestruck at the record of your redemptive deeds. But Lord, Lord, this is what I long for. Let us know your redemptive deeds in our day. Do you long for that? Do you have any passion that the redemptive deeds of God in Christ would run afoot in our day? Oh Lord, let us know your mercy even in the midst of your just anger. He cries out to God over the horrible condition of the people of the Lord. They're full of injustice and violence and lawlessness. And he asks, Lord, why do you tolerate this? Lord, why does this wickedness take place and you seem to do nothing? Have you ever felt that you can speak to God that way? Let me say this with all reverence. God is a big boy. He can handle our honesty. He can handle our cries. And God's answer to his first query in chapter 1 about all of this injustice is such a difficult one. God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to employ the most ruthless nation on the face of the earth to deal with the Assyrians of old who conquered Israel itself and to bring judgment upon my own people. And Habakkuk is awestruck and astonished even further, saying, God, how can you use such a people as these Chaldeans to judge your own? You see, one of the things we learn in the book of Habakkuk is that even when God answers our queries, there are times when God's answers, to us at least, do not seem near plain enough. Are you ready to live with that? God is his own interpreter, the great hymn says, and he will make it plain in due season. Lord, even your answers to my cries do not always solve my confusion and my fear. But he learns to live before the Lord in a trembling and trusting way. Look at, he, at Habakkuk 3 and verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And of your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. There's a, there's a pattern here that I want to set before you that is a good pattern for us. The first is that the Lord, that we ought to be asking the Lord regularly, Lord, allow me to understand you and to understand your ways in my time. But Lord, when I do not understand, would you also remember mercy in the midst of your justice? These two things he is seeking of the Lord. Lord, let me know you in my time. Let me see your ways in my time. Revisit us with your redeeming mercies in our time. Show us mercy in the midst of your wrath. That's to be the cry of every believer in every new generation. Lord, show me your ways. And when I'm confused and don't understand your ways, Lord, show me mercy in the midst of your justice. Well, this prophetic book ends with this glorious song in 
verse 17, 18, and 19 of chapter 3. And it leads us there to our second truth this morning that we are to live and to embrace. And it is this, the simple, oft-repeated theme of the scriptures that you and I are called to live by faith and not by sight. Now, how many of you experience what I do in any given week with glasses? I take my glasses off in order to do whatever it is that I was doing and then find that I need my glasses to find my glasses. But you see, the scriptures over and over and over again are teaching us that there are different ways of seeing. And when we only see with these eyes, when we try to interpret God's world and God's ways and God's character with these eyes alone, we will get it wrong. And Habakkuk is begging God for the eye of faith. This passage is a remarkable picture of what it means to walk by faith. Look at the language, verse 17. Though the fig tree has no blossom, though there is no grape on the vine, though the olive trees fail, the fields yield no wheat, the flocks are cut off. There's no herd in the stall. You see, if you're looking at that with just the eye of the flesh, all you will have is devastation. All you will have is discouragement. All you will have is that which will send you into the abyss. But in chapter 2 and verse 4, in that glorious line, Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. And three times in the New Testament, in key crucial places, that verse from Habakkuk is used. And so though desolate circumstances be true, yet will I believe in the presence and the plans and the power of the Lord. That's what Habakkuk is saying. Notice the progression in these verses 18 and 19 at the end of the book. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. His joy, his thanksgiving, his understanding of things was inextricably linked to his union with a covenant-keeping God. Do you know Martin Luther when... He was describing all of the great theological principles of the New Testament. He said, there is one word in the New Testament that is by far the most important. And it's not what you would expect. It's a preposition. It's the word in. Count the number of times in the New Testament you see in Christ. And how over and over and over again, all of the blessings that God has given to his people are bound up. In Jesus Christ. Habakkuk understands that in an Old Testament sense. That he is, his rejoicing is in the Lord. It is bound up with who the Lord is, not with his circumstance. And then it goes on, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Despite the hardships and despite his own sinful failures... He understands that he has undeserved favor from God. That God is his and he is mine. 
Notice third, the sovereign Lord, it is, is his strength, the God of infinite might who upholds me through these sheer hardships. And then finally, he makes my feet like the deer on the heights, the mountain goats. You've seen those National Geographic specials where a goat and her kid are leaping along these steep mountain passes with, with certain death, with a simple slip of the foot, and yet it never happens. They are made sure and certain in the most difficult of places. Brothers and sisters, that has been the truth and the hope of believers in every generation of the church. Throughout every aspect of the history of the church, when she has gone through these kinds of desolations, God has proven himself faithful. Now, it doesn't appear so in our English text, but in the original language, I want you to notice that in the 17th verse, it actually appears in the future tense. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit come on the vines. I want you to, I don't want you to miss this. This is profoundly important. This desolation has not yet come. The Chaldeans have not yet invaded, but it is coming. It is future tense. It is most certainly on its way. And the prophet is stealing his heart in the present for the tribulations to come. How many of us are doing that? You see, the time to develop your theology is not when you are in crisis. The time for your theology to be well developed, well honed, and wed to your soul is now. So that when those days of tribulation and desolation come in the providence of God, we're not trying to figure out who God is. Nor trying to figure out God's ways. You see, he knows that there will be great barrenness, but that God is able to supply the needs of his people. He knew the redemptive history of God and that God had time and again delivered his people from seemingly hopeless places. And so millions are in the desert and they are thirsty and have no water and God brings water from the rock who is Christ. And God gave bread from heaven, and God gave quail from the winds, and God gave a mediator named Moses, and God gave a leader named Joshua, and on and on and on. God provided for his people in hopeless places. Dear ones, hear this if you hear nothing else this morning. In the divine being of God, he has resources beyond our wildest imagination. And the church, both now and in days to come, will live to see those resources of God's deity. God is never at a lack. There is never a time when God does what you and I do, which is to worry about how we're going to do something. That is never a factor with God. And so this is the essence of the prophet's song. That he has come to believe that though every earthly support around him fails him, that God will not fail him because he is a God of covenant-keeping love. 
That's easy for us to say. But what happens when our banking system really does collapse? And you lose your 401k or your cash goes down the drain. What happens when the real kinds of desolations that so impact us begin to take place? Let me ask us, as a church, as believers, will we be leading the charge in saying to the world that is hopelessly confused, there is a God whose resources never fail, or will we be those people who along with culture are out there saying, all is lost, all is lost. You see, Habakkuk could have been that man. Habakkuk is expressing the same theology which Job expressed. You finish it with me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now there the rubber has met the road. If in the providence of God I see my death imminent, Still God loves me. And still God is for me. The prophet has come to experience what you and I are meant to experience. Yet will I rejoice. This is not a counterfeit joy, brothers and sisters. It is the real earthy, gritty joy of a white knuckle faith that holds to the Lord in the most troubling of times. Paul gives us the New Testament feel for this in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, will he not graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from this love of God that's in Christ? Shall tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? You see, when we read in our modern, protected, Western culture, that phrase from Romans 8, we say, oh, no, we'd be safe in all those things. But when did we last experience nakedness and danger and sword and persecution? But see, that's the real meat of the gospel. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, brothers and sisters, we've seen that we must learn to voice our cries to the Lord openly and passionately. We've seen afresh that we are called to live by faith in the midst of this world, not with the eyes of the flesh, but with the eye of the heart that sees a covenant-keeping God with his resources before us all the time. But I want us to close this morning by observing the process by which Habakkuk got to that place. There's two things about it that I want you to see. First, the prophet shows us that we are to express our doubts to God honestly. Now please follow along with me here. As the book opens, Habakkuk honestly applies the questions of his soul to God. He's expressing his doubts. Let me go back and read to you the opening of the, of the book. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? 
And I say to you, Lord, look at the violence and you do nothing. Why do you make me see this iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Now that is an honest complaint. That is a man who is willing to express his doubts to God. We must not bury the struggle of our soul. I believe very firmly in what I'm about to say that only a person of true faith can have real doubt. Listen to what we're going to say. Only a person of true faith can have real doubt. You see, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in Christ and you don't believe in the cross and in the resurrection, you may have all kinds of questions and anxieties. You may have all kinds of problems, but you do not have doubt because doubt, dear ones, is for the believer and it's relational. Habakkuk is expressing his doubts because he sees a covenant-keeping God and yet he sees all of these things that he thinks are inconsistent with that covenant-keeping God and he's struggling and he's wrestling. Habakkuk has true doubts because he's struggling to square his experience and his fears with the God who has revealed himself. And that's where our doubts come, don't they? We see God as he's revealed himself. But we don't always understand himself and his ways and how it fits into our lives and into our culture. And so the prophet brings his doubts to God. And that's the first and honest step to the resolution of our doubts. God's first answer to his doubts is to say, don't put me in the little box in which you've placed me. You see, there's no box that will hold my deity and my power. My ways are so much higher than yours, and I'm going to use another nation to bring my people to repentance. I am working in ways that you cannot see, Habakkuk. Dear ones, that's what I want you to hear this morning, that our God is working in ways that you cannot see. God is doing so much more in his world and in his church than we could ever recognize. But second, in that process, the prophet does what may be the hardest thing for all of us to do, that having expressed his doubts, he sets himself before God to wait by faith for God to make himself clear. Look at the beginning of chapter 2. I will take my stand at the watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Habakkuk is giving us an image of going up the ramparts onto a fortress-like situation and looking out over the wall and looking out to see if there was a messenger who was bringing a message. And he's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to wait until God makes himself plain. And that may be the hardest thing for us in the Christian life. One author has written this, it sounds so simple until I begin to do it and then I find that it's the hardest thing in the world to be still. The most perfect exercise of faith is to wait patiently for God. You see, nowhere in the book of Habakkuk does God explain everything that is going to happen. 
Nowhere does Habakkuk get an answer for all of his questions. What he does get is the declaration of the abiding rule of God every single day of every single year of the whole of creation. Period. There is never a time when God does not reign and rule. And that is the foundation of our hope and of our faith. Again, to put it in New Testament terms, as Paul might say, all things must work for the good of those whom he has called. Well, brothers and sisters, how has the Lord crowned this beautiful prophetic book with completion, with certainty? Well, he has done so in his son, Jesus. It's in our enfleshed Lord Jesus Christ that we begin to see all of the fulfillment of the various layers and depths of the book of Habakkuk. The perfect son of God who had no sin that needed to be punished, who had never done anything wrong whatsoever, comes and takes upon himself our flesh and does what? He undergoes all of the desolation that is spoken of in the book of Habakkuk. And in the life of Christ, there is no fruit on the vine. And the olive fields, they fail. And the pens are empty. And desolation reigns on our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the wrath of God has fallen upon him entirely. And God raises him from the dead in a way that the world could have never understood and still does not understand. And the resources of God are an empty tomb and a risen Savior and an ascended Lord and a given spirit to the church. Resources without end. There is never a time when the church does not have what she needs. Dear ones, it is always a joy to be here with you at Redeemer. Who would have thought 15 years ago that you would be here today and that you would be impacting this city? Who would have thunk it? God did. God had. He had it in his heart. He had it in his sovereign plans. He has it in his sovereign plans for your future. And so this prophecy speaks with enormous clarity to every one of us who will be in adversity, in confusion, or a place of desolation, to every church, including Redeemer, that we can, with a prophet in the riches of Christ, have true joy when we do not know exactly what the future holds. We can rejoice in the God of our redemption. Because we know that he has unlimited resources to do what is in his heart to do. And he will accomplish it. And so suppose that there is no bread, no resources, no one who seems to care. Is the hand that took five loaves and two fish and multiplied them to feed thousands, is he unable to feed you? Of course not. Is he unable to take care of your future as a church? If you reach a place of exhaustion where 
Your arms simply droop because there is no more strength. Our Savior says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will come to you. I will not leave you as an orphan. And I will pick you up and I will carry you. You see, amidst every condition of our own lives, of our own country, of our own government, of our own world, that appall and grieve us, here is the truth. That Jesus Christ is about the business of doing things that you and I can't even conceive of. And we will not likely understand the instruments that he uses in his world any more than Habakkuk could understand God using the Chaldeans. But our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is making the same mighty appeal to you this morning to faith as he was to Habakkuk. That our joy and our thanksgiving is in proportion to our trust that we believe he is with us that he is working, there is a consummation coming, and there are no lacking resources whatsoever. Do we believe it? Will we live it? And so we can say, oh Lord, we stand in awe of your deeds in Jesus. Lord, we believe that your cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection, the power of what Christ has done is just as strong today as it was 2,000 years ago. Do you need money to reach your neighborhood? Sure. But you can do without an awful lot of money, but you can't do without the power of Christ. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Habakkuk's dreams all of Habakkuk's glories, all of Habakkuk's longings. And Jesus is also the fulfillment of all of the fears that Habakkuk had about desolation and judgment because Jesus has taken that upon himself. And so we say, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy at the cross. In the midst of my barrenness, Lord, your gospel is as powerful as it ever has been. So we end the book. Turn there with me. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For God the Lord is my strength. What is your strength this morning? Let's pray together. Father, you have given us incalculable gifts. But there is not a single one of them that does not find its way back to your son, Jesus. There is no hope that we long for, no fear that grips our soul that Christ has not dealt with. And so, Father, I pray for this congregation and for her people individually. The Lord, might it be the case in this day, in this time, would you renew your mercies? Would you renew the power of Jesus Christ in the cross? 
Would you renew the power of the resurrection and the empty tomb here in this place and through this people? And might we be able to see and to savor that our joy is in the God of our salvation? We pray it in Christ's name.